0: Welcome to the Why on Earth community podcast. Today we have a really special episode for you. I'm here with my great friend and colleague and fellow board member of the Why on Earth community, Brad Lidge. Hey Brad. Aaron, how are you buddy? I'm doing great. Excellent.
1: Yeah. How Excellent. you doing? I'm doing great, happy to be here and uh, catch up with you about a lot of uh,
0: fun but important things. Very cool. As always, yeah. yeah. I'm really excited about what we're going to be sharing and talking about today. And uh, I guess cutting right to the chase, Brad, um, I'll share that uh, we're going to have a little chat here about this epic novel that uh, I just finished writing after more or less five years of, of pretty concerted effort. And, um, we're going to tell you a lot about it and what's in it, but Brad, you've, uh, you, you've been so intimately involved with the process with, with this book project. And in addition to all the other work we're doing through the Why on Earth community, um, you've been really fr- front lines and, uh, instrumental in how this project has come together. And of course you, you read the entire manuscript and provided a number of, of really helpful uh edits and changes and opportunities for improvement we'll see <laughs> which is uh appreciated for sure i'm pretty confident that uh, at least for some of them it was definitely uh, some major improvements that we were able to make but uh yeah so brad like un- unlike many of our other podcast interviews i guess in a way you'll be interviewing me here uh as much as anything so um yeah. yeah, you if you'd like, I guess, take it away and I'll hand, yeah. you, hand you the book here for a second. Thank you, Aaron. Well, first, I got to say, um, being with you
1: on, if not every step of the way, at least the vast majority of them has been an honor and it's been a blast. I mean, it really has to uh to see you kind of take all this um knowledge and education and wisdom that you've uh and i'm not just uh saying this to to fluff you up right now i'm I'm actually serious that you've taken so much and been able to to put it into this book and i know how much of you is in this and i know um you know the amount of time and effort and heart that you've put into this so Mm -hmm. truly excited uh that this is now going to be able to to be there for the public to be able to to see all that and for for all that knowledge and wisdom uh, and education to get out there because i think one of the one of the most important aspects of this book and there's a lot and we'll talk about them but the the education that goes in here uh for for a lay reader but even you know not a lay reader for someone who's familiar with a lot of uh different concepts and, and familiar with why on earth and what you're trying to accomplish and what you've been accomplishing um to see it all play out in this novel has just been uh, a lot of fun to be a part of so i don't know if anything i said has actually helped or not we'll see i'm sure you'll get probably nice. your worst feedback uh from the, my ideas nope. but uh it is it's certainly been a blast to be a part of this with you and uh to see the design of this again it's uh, i mean you guys did such a great job i know hunter was a big part of it yeah. And it's uh my son. Yeah. yeah, your son hunter. And yeah. and uh just an incredible job. So it's really exciting to to actually have a physical copy of this finally uh for me and to be able to uh to comb through pages, to mark it up and uh, take notes and scribble and scratch. And as uh, I think we all like to still have that that actual physical copy of a book. I know it's easy to, to read things, uh you know, just comb through your your computer and everything else online, but I, I love having a physical copy of this in my hand. So I for one, am very excited, and uh, I think it's going to be very well received so um, yeah so I'm, I'm just excited to talk about some of the stuff today with you and uh, uh, i won't uh, I won't continue to go on on these general statements. I know there may be some more specific things we want to get into, but uh, congratulations on this
0: uh, finally getting out awesome yeah, thank you, brother. I appreciate yeah. that and uh, yeah, I realize you know one of the uh, things that um transpired here over the last few months as we were deep in the uh editing and and final wrap-up and getting all of the graphics and cover art together is that we ended up uh not podcasting as frequently as we ordinarily do and um in a sense, I'm, I'm not quite as polished as I might have been over these last couple of years. I forgot to introduce myself, Aaron William Perry. And, um,
1: but most people are fairly familiar with I guess by that's now. So, that's, yeah. probably so okay. that's probably true. That's probably
0: true. And the name of the book, is, which is really, really important, is Viriditas. The Great Healing is Within Our Power. And um, we'll, we'll be able to tell you a bit more about what that all means. And uh, I have to mention that there's a bunch of symbolism and cipher codes throughout this story with even uh, more opportunities for folks to dig in deeper than uh, just the narrative text. Of course, you can just read the narrative text too if you want, but uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of uh, kind of hidden treasure there for folks who want to do a little more digging.
1: I'm going to stop you right there because tell us how Vriditas came about because I know that the history behind it's pretty cool. It sounds very Latin. I've you know, dabbled in Latin quite a bit, obviously, but it's not actually Latin. Tell us a little bit more about that because that was that's a pretty cool title.
0: Yeah, you bet. So um, from what I understand, and as you know, I, I did a whole lot of research in putting this book together. Um, this term was coined by the German mystic, Hildegard von Bingen. And and she was an extraordinary character uh, about a thousand years ago, predating St. Francis of Assisi by about a century. Uh, She was in frequent correspondence with Bernard de Clairvaux, um, whom some of our audience probably will be familiar with. And she was an abbotess in charge of, from what I understand, uh, quite a number of, of nuns who were devoting their lives to the Uh, connection with the divine. And Hildegard von Bingen uh, ended up writing prolifically music and books. And she wrote about the healing power of stones and especially the healing power of herbal medicines and other plants. And this term that she coined, Viriditas, refers to greening and basically means the green healing energy of the divine life force that flows specifically through plants, through the plant kingdom. And, you know, of course we know scientifically that uh, most all of the food and the energy we're able to utilize ourselves as human beings with our bodies is one way or another sunlight that is coming to this planet and transformed by the plant kingdom through photosynthesis into foods that animals can eat, that we can eat directly and so on. And so there's a very, profound and important, obvious uh, and literal suggestion there. But of course, there's also a lot of mystical meaning and more esoteric uh, meaning behind what is encapsulated in this, this term viriditas. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a uh, sort of Latin sounding word. But as I understand it, it's not technically Latin. But she, of course, I think was uh, proficient in Latin and, and, and decided to create this word that had this kind of Latin-esque feel to it.
1: Yeah, pretty, pretty impressive. And I, I mean, and just hearing you kind of describe just that word, I guess something. And it's funny because I know you're normally the one doing the interviews, but I feel like you know this is a good chance for me to talk to you about the book and and so many things in it. And I I am I feel extremely fortunate to have read through the manuscript, and uh, you know again been able to to look at so many details of the book. And but just the attention to that word alone, I mean. How did you find, because I mean, since I've since we've reconnected since I've known you, but since we've especially reconnected, um, you know, these last 10 years, I mean, you've been studying this stuff with a passion, Um, obviously, the sustainability and everything else that we get through why on Earth, but also your education in so many different directions. And and as I mentioned, we'll get into that more. The education pieces that are in this book. How difficult was that to try and condense so much knowledge and education into a book without just kind of throwing stuff in there just to throw stuff in there which we definitely see authors do that from time to time but i i for one found that the information and and all the different uh not rabbit holes but paths you go down they're all relevant to the story they're all necessary especially as it culminates toward the end but mm-hmm. how tough was that to try and you know I'm just imagine you get through your notes and scratching i know you're a note taker and everything else and just in day-to-day life mm-hmm. but just to condense that into a story
0: uh, must've been a, a monumental task. That is, um, not, uh, hyperbole or, or exaggeration, you know, Brad, and, and as you know, because you read a, an even longer version of this manuscript, you know, th- this puppy's about 500 pages here. And I guess we cut out a couple hundred. Um, and, and who knows, maybe down the road, we'll find a fun way to make some of that additional material available. But yeah, there's, a lot that's being uh, discussed and addressed in all of these interwoven threads and themes here. And a big part of it is a look back through our history to get a better understanding of how we got to where we are today as a species on the planet, the human family here on planet Earth. And of course, there's also a lot of discussion around not only esoteric knowledge and wisdom, but, indigenous knowledge and wisdom that I think is probably essential for many of us to reconnect and to really heal in our own selves, our own beings, and our own relationship with the living biosphere, which from my perspective in terms of our psycho-spiritual makeup is, is essential for the healing of the planet, the restabling of, of our climate and atmosphere and, and the healing of the incredible toxicity that we've essentially uh, loaded up the soil and the water and, and basically the entire biosphere with. So, um, going through many edits and having an incredible team of, of editors, yeah. um, Charmaine Boudreau, Andrea van um, and of course, uh, Dave was just totally instrumental. Um, And uh, Brad, with your read-through and with um, some of our other friends, Caressa's read-through, and a couple of other folks who took different pieces, it really has been a, a group effort and it takes a village to create a book and of course, Dave Aretha, I was just blanking in my stream of consciousness here. My bad, Dave, sorry about that. <laughs> David Aretha, who's an amazing editor and has himself written and edited several hundred books. Um, but that process really allowed us to call out much of what you know would be regarded as chafe for a, a novel and a story that was very much intended for a mainstream audience. So yeah, this thing is, is trimmed down quite a bit, but still loaded with all kinds of uh, goodies. And, and there's a big adventure in the plot line, right?
1: Yeah, there is, and, and, and I wanna to get to that in a second, but I have, I have one more question about some of those goodies because one thing that I think I found to be great with this book, obviously it takes place uh, a lot of it here in Colorado. I mean, it's 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 focused um, obviously in the United States. But that being said, there is there's an incredible um, non-western centric vibe running through the book in terms of that esoteric, you know, ancient wisdom, ancient knowledge, uh, religions, uh, Native American understandings. Um, all these different things go into it. and and so I, I kind of wanted to throw that out there because you know, regardless of what continent you're on or or what you you know what you've studied or what your path is, for a lot of these different uh, uh, understandings that have come to us, you, you pull from so many different uh, ancient sources or, or, you know, sources that evolved or whatever it is. It's not just like a Western-centric view of this stuff. And I think that that actually uh, lends itself to, you know, when you're able to stitch those things together and you're not just pulling from things that are uh, things we hear about a lot, but also from things that we don't know a lot about, and they actually synthesize and it actually works. That's what I kind of found super fascinating with this so yeah you there's a lot of different aspects of this but i just want to say that you did a great job not focusing on maybe some mainstream understandings and concepts but pulling things from a lot of different places um you know near eastern far eastern whatever and being able to mesh them together and uh you know i don't want to give too much of anything away here but i just thought you did a great job with that um not just uh, again pulling from from already known things that you maybe you can read in a dan brown book or whatever having some of those elements but then yet taking it to a level far beyond anything you know uh and i understand dan brown is a fantastic i love his books but you go far beyond that and i think that that's one thing that you don't find in a whole lot of uh you know novels for the masses for the public so uh so well done on that i don't Mm -hmm. even know if that's a question so much as i just wanted to say great job on that but 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 i will say i I did want to ask you about that adventure a little bit and about the pacing of this novel because it Mm -hmm. starts off pretty hot it starts off a little bit like a dan brown type of book Mm -hmm. and um you know that must have been a lot of fun to kind of you know chase some of those scenes through your mind that that end up weaving uh, a little bit new york and coming to colorado and and tell me about how that all kind of came down
0: yeah no it's um one of the things I, I, I find to be fun and interesting and also perhaps a bit unconventional in a story like this, it definitely kicks off kind of hot and heavy in New York City where our main character, her name is Brigitte Sophia, who is a brilliant computer scientist and has cracked the code to deep artificial intelligence, which of course is both very dangerous and very powerful all of a sudden after a meeting with a bunch of financiers on the Upper East Side, heading, making her way toward Central Park, the Metropolitan Museum, is being chased by these very scary sort of paramilitary guys with drones overhead and has to run through Central Park, runs right by Cleopatra's Needle, that Egyptian obelisk that's there behind the museum and basically has to quickly decide what to do because it's obviously such a dangerous situation and ends up, uh, with the help of a friend, basically going off-grid, catching a last-minute flight to Denver, Colorado, where then the rest of the story sort of unfolds, both here on the front range centered around Boulder and Nederland, and then they make their way to the west slope and end up at a magical biodynamic farm called Sustainable Settings outside of Carbondale, Colorado, after A quick flight into the Aspen Airport. And so, yeah, the pacing kicks off kind of, you know, Dan Brown, one of the ways we've described this to a few folks is it's sort of like Dan Brown and the Da Vinci Code meet, uh, say, Starhawk and Fifth Sacred Thing with, you know, a little bit of Aldous Huxley's non-dystopic novel island uh, sprinkled in there along with you know, many other elements. But yeah, it, it, the pacing kind of switches up. It's not an eco techno thriller all the way through it. It ends up bringing us into this whole other kind of realm and experience with a major uh, surprise at the end.
1: Yeah, a major surprise and, and it delivers. And, uh, you know, I was kind of referring to that earlier, that just to be able to to bring so many different concepts together in that, but talk a little bit uh, about that, um, you know, about those those scenes early on, you know, where um, Bridget Sophia has, you know, somewhat created an AI that uh, is, you know, people are, and again, I don't want to give away too much of the book, but people are uh, very aware, of, very conscious of, and she's, you know, kind of grappling with exactly who these people are that are chasing her down, and uh, and trying to get off the grid a little bit. Um, I thought it was awesome because obviously living in Colorado, it's, it's, it's kind of a great tour guide through some of the more interesting places. Uh, and it's funny because so many people pass through DIA Denver international airport, um, maybe being aware of some of the things that have been written about it. Maybe not. There's all these weird, uh, understandings that, Oh, you know, there's different, uh, codes encrypted within the airport and stuff, but you tackle all that stuff. And, and then you get through to, uh, you know, to, to kind of pushing it through to those different places you mentioned, Boulder, Carbondale, uh, Elk Run Farm. Uh, talk a little bit about how you kind of selected some of those places and uh, a little bit about that, that path and the I guess the descriptive terminology you kind of have to use to, because like I said, we're familiar with these areas, but there's a lot of people that aren't. So just kind of the descriptive language of, of getting people
0: kind of familiar with the path that, that maybe aren't normally familiar with it. Yeah. it's. Um for me, been a lot of fun setting most of the story in Colorado, because of course, you know, like you, Brad, I I grew up here, Um, although I wasn't born in Colorado, I moved to Colorado at the age of 10. And um, so, yeah, you know, one of the big uh, things that developed in in our lifetime um, was the switch from this cute little airport called Stapleton to this, this massive, installation called Denver International Airport, which was strategically placed midway, if you can imagine, between the major European hubs and the major Asian hubs, with also the sort of optimal placement to get down to the major South American hubs by flight. And it's no accident that our government has decided to locate the Space Command, the new Space Force uh, element of our military right here in Colorado as well. And so in the story, get to play with some of those um, interesting, intriguing, and maybe even sort of conspiracy ideas centered around the airport. And, you know, we drop a few photos in there and some symbols, which if any of you are looking at the video here, you can see I'm holding up uh, to one of the pages where there's this strange Masonic cornerstone placed in the southern uh, uh, edge of the big, great uh, atrium room at Denver International Airport, with it, which itself has some codes on it. And um, yeah, kind of have fun playing with the intrigue there, but also dig into some of the very real history of this country, of how our culture has evolved with different organizations from the Catholic Church to the Freemasons, the Templars, the e- ancient Egyptians, some of the... Uh, ancient and and esoteric Chinese and Japanese uh, knowledge and how that has all kind of woven together into our present day world, whether we realize it or not, we have all these different influences, uh, you know, informing where we're at. And it's a heck of a lot of fun to be able to have, have, you know, play around with things like DIA, where, of course, there's a lot of weird kind of conspiracy uh, notions out there already.
1: Well, and, and so, you know, talking through and, and taking us through some of those, some of those understandings of the foundations of our country, or maybe, you know, some elements of the church that brought us to where we were, not always a, a super sunshiny story. And so I think you do a great job of kind of delivering an, an honest, you know, unbiased look at some of these, um, you know, unfortunate circumstances that maybe lead to where we are, how, you know, people haven't always been treated well. You know, it's our, obviously our great country, but had, hasn't always been a smooth ride how tough was that to kind of pull out pieces and to kind of say, you know what, not trying to, uh, you know, jump on anyone here, but it is important to relay this, this truth of, of, you know, how we got to where we are. Uh, was that kind of tough to pick through some of those things and, uh, and to be able to de- deliver that message successfully? And like I said, not trying to, you know, step on anyone's toes or crush anyone, but just being honest about how we are where we are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would say, um, look, all of us who identify as human, far as I can tell, we're human. And as such, you know, we make mistakes and uh, big and small. And I think one of the themes in this story is kind of looking at that collective truth and sort of deciding as a species, what do we want to do going forward? Do we want to lean into the healing that is really possible? Uh, which of course invites us and in, in perhaps obligates us on some level to lean into that healing in our own uh, personal uh, world as well. And so, yeah, there, there are a number of passages that I had to read and reread and sit and think and meditate and pray and, and switch some words a bit. And look, for example, looking at the history of the Roman Catholic Church and the the treatment of many of my indigenous friends and relatives, right on up through my, our own generation. Yeah. Um, you know, there's some really gnarly, horrendous stuff there. And some of my Jesuit friends right now are actually doing really important work to heal some of those uh, wounds. But at the same time, it's the church, the Roman Catholic Church, that is also bringing such great hope and peace to so many people around the planet. and. With the leadership of Pope Francis, Papa Francis, there's a lot of really extraordinary healing work and work around ecological stewardship and justice for the poorest of the poor. That that is also part of the story. And so, yeah. yeah, there's there's some additional lifting, I would say, as a writer, to, to be able to look at all these truths from different angles and, and present, you know, hopefully a compelling and, and complete enough picture that really brings us each to ourselves and right now, and what are we deciding going forward? And how are we gonna help direct the uh, progress of our generation, of our world, of our culture, and of our species going forward? Yeah, it's not always a,
1: a clear story. It's, it's, it's a murky you know, story at best uh, when we look through how we got to where we are but then I think that really helps inform us uh, on how to go to where we want to go, which is obviously a huge part of the message of this book. And I'll get to, to that in a minute. But I want to take it from that first act, you know, with yeah. the fast-paced and, and then, you know, finally ending up in, in Carbondale uh, by by Aspen, Colorado, and uh, in a beautiful setting there. And I found some of the education that happens now in the book, in this act two. Mm. I mean, it was kind of mind-blowing a little bit. I didn't know much about sweat lodges. I didn't know much about the land and all the the plants that you reference and, and their medicinal qualities and everything else. I found like act two was, you know, it, it, it's the pace slows down a little bit, but you get this incredible education in that act uh, that really, I think, is, um, you know, is, is a lot of these things that you've been learning over the last 10, 20 years, however long you were able to get that out in a really kind of fun setting. I mean, that's... Probably the chapter that I, for me, or the act, I should say, that out of three acts, the second one. I took so many notes on that one, mm-hmm. just because there was a lot of, uh, you know, we, a lot of times we read these books by Dan Brown or, or someone else. We underline things, or we star something. I just found I was doing that over and over in that act. So talk a little bit about the delivery of that piece of information, because that must have been a lot of fun to be able to, to, to recall back and, and hearken back to everything you've learned and to be able to educate, uh, you know, someone like me, for example, mm-hmm. or, or so many other people that are going to read this.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's fun, Brad, and I remember uh, I was sitting in my car, we were talking on the phone, right up snug against the foothills between Elk Run Farm in Lyons and the north end of Boulder, talking about that uh, section of the book, and, and you sharing with me just how striking it was the the scene at sustainable settings farm and then uh, her opportunity when she's invited to experience a sweat lodge yeah and you know but part of the fun of writing this kind of story i've my i've had a somewhat i guess unconventional life and i've had the opportunity to experience many of these indigenous ceremonies and experience kind of firsthand what it's like when that door shuts on that sweat lodge and it's the blackest pitch black you could imagine because uh, there's literally no uh, light coming in. Yeah. Um, and, and just you know how potent that is for Brigitte the first time she's experiencing this and it leads to a, a, a huge revelatory dream that she has that night. But uh, you know, one of the things that's super fun for me about this book is it's also a documentary in a very real way featuring all kinds of real places and real people doing real work to help improve our world here and now. And uh, after, uh, you know, she's brought by this wacky guy in Boulder to Elk Run Farm for a quick visit for some nerving tonics from my friend, Marissa Pulaski, who runs um, Elk Run and the Drylands Agroecology Research nonprofit with her partner, Nick DiDomenico. Um, You know, after they stop in there for some special herbal Um, kombucha to calm down Brigitte's nerves they a a day or two later end up at sustainable settings where I actually worked like uh, 20 years ago or thereabouts and my friends Brooke and Rose up there the Levans have done such a tremendous job educating literally thousands of people every year in biodynamics permaculture animal husbandry and sustainable living in general and so we have the character kind of drop in on a permadynamics workshop that's happening bridging permaculture and biodynamics and we get to overhear the teachings of brooke and rose and a handful of other dear friends who have real wisdom and very practical knowledge to share with us in these times concerning soil and food and working with plants and animals in a regenerative fashion um so so yeah I, it's uh it, it, it just makes my heart sing, Brad, knowing that like, yeah, this this is so-called visionary fiction. And, and our advisors suggested that was one of the best categories yeah. for the book world. But uh, this is by no means fantasy. You know, th- this right. is real, real, real stuff going on in here. And I remember when I shared an early draft of the sustainable settings chapter, we call it susti, Um my dear friend Maura Stiles, who actually was the lead editor on the book Why on Earth and, and read a few early chapters on this and gave some really great feedback, you know, she said to me on the phone, uh, Galdang, dang, I don't know if she said "Gall dang, <laughs> but you get the feeling of it. She yeah. said, Is this real? Like, I want to go there. Can I go there? And I yeah. said, Oh my gosh, sister, not only can you go there, here's the address 6107 Highway 133, just outside Carbondale. It's super real and they offer workshops and you should go because you live in Denver and it's only a few hours drive. Um, But that's another major um, uh, deliberate uh, theme and element of this book is providing a whole bunch of very real examples of the work being done and what's really possible right now, what's already happening
1: yeah and i think um you know to that end it is remarkable that all these these places you're mentioning everything else like people can read this and they can go there and they can experience it and they can see it uh one of the most important parts i think of the book is that it is real to your point um and your characters i mean it's it's uh, it's it's really interesting to me because you know as, as we talk about brigitte's brigitte sophia and her path here, she's also acquiring, like, along with the reader, this incredible education as she goes through things. Uh, a lot of things, I mean, she's an incredibly brilliant, right? AI uh, you know, creator, but also, you know, maybe a little bit lacking in some of these other important elements of, of this full picture of, of having an incredible knowledge and wisdom and education. But as she goes through this book with Leo, uh, she's able to kind of build up this knowledge and this, you know, big revelation for her um, you know, starts to, starts to happen and it starts to become more and more intense. And I think it it happens, you know, alongside with the reader, like you're going through this with her and and picking up this education with her, talk a little bit about, you know, her character and how you kind of, you know, wanted to, to start her from, from someone who obviously is a, like I said, a very brilliant person, but that education into, into a whole nother set of wisdom, a whole nother part of,
0: of understanding the big picture. Yeah. Yeah. Her character, um, is, uh, boy, uh, it's, it's almost like this is a person I know at this point. Yeah. And she, she comes from the East Coast, right? So this supercomputer that she's been working with for several years at the beginning of the story is located in Cornell University in Ithaca, New York. And um, she's extremely uh, uh, rational, working with mathematics, working with cybernetics, and uh, although you know, she has her heart and her, her femininity about her, you wouldn't say that that was very much activated at the beginning of this story. And it's one of the things she really deepens into and connects with as she spends more time it, with nature and on these farms and, and eventually spends many months in wilderness and there's a huge kind of opening and and flowering that occurs there and uh yeah her character you know she's brilliant and so i had a lot of fun sort of basing aspects of of her on some of the extraordinarily brilliant women i know uh well uh, many of whom i've worked with and learned from my daughter osha uh being you know foremost in my mind um, among them and um so yeah, the, the character and how she's able to kind of move through this experience, it really in a way sort of takes her into a quote unquote another world, but it's this yeah. world, right? It really brings her into, into deep intimate relationship with this world, with earth. And you know, just a quick comment on the AI thing. I've had many friends in, in, including my sweetheart Caressa express some real concern around the use of artificial intelligence in the story and because a lot of people for for obvious and very justified reasons are super concerned about where artificial intelligence might be taking us yeah and so in the story it's it's a trope it's a mechanism and we even play with this idea that the the most important AI in these times is not artificial intelligence but is the actual authentic intelligence living in the biosphere, in the DNA, in in ourselves, that is a gift of creation. And uh, so those themes are in there. And we do take a look at some of the big ethical questions around AI. There's a good bit of referencing to the history of the development of the technology going back to World War II and even earlier with computing technology, but also a discussion of some of these big ethical questions. And that's one of the, internal struggles that our character Brigitte Sophia has to grapple with and ultimately make a decision about, which leads into the major crescendo of the third part of the book. Um, but yeah, I, I hope readers um, from you know, all kinds of backgrounds who enjoy different types of literature and story uh, will enjoy this character and enjoy the transformation that she goes through.
1: Yeah, and it is uh, an, an incredible transformation for her, but also, as I mentioned, incredible education for the reader. And I mean, kind of talking through that. I mean, you know, this is all happening, but at the same time, there's still this urgency because there's still, you know, these these people, whoever they are, after her, uh, and they have to continue to find a way to get away. And so, you know, when you were kind of at that part, um, kind of end of Act Two, beginning of Act Three, maybe. Um, You know their their placement, um, trying to hide from those those you know powers that be that are hunting him down, so to speak. Um, Talk a little bit about because it, it really gets to a point there where I think it gets that full culmination of her. You know, we t- you said you know a, a different world. I think kind of maybe more of a connection to the actual world, uh, to the real world, instead of being in this you know AI world in her mind. She fully immerses into the real world uh, in that part, and, uh, and is connected to you know so many different things in that aspect before you know the real big uh, amazing revelation happens. Uh, just talk about that point because it's almost like you know the story kind of arc gets to a point where it settles a little bit. You still are understanding that, the, but then it kind of settles and then bang, the big the big kind of revelation happens. But talk about kind of thinking through that, getting to a point where she really uh, before this before this big ending happens, where she really has to sink in and be fully immersed with the actual world.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, so basically, I just threw a lot of stuff at you right there. So basically, when um, she's invited to this sweat lodge, uh, a woman's sweat, and it has that experience, and then that night has this incredibly powerful dream, she basically comes to understand what she needs to do relative to the technology relative to auto relative to whether or not she's going to activate this artificial intelligence and and so basically decides um she is going to uh or, or does she do something to, to turn it all off right and shut it all down uh either way she has to go online and, and come back on grid briefly which yeah. means whoever's chasing her is likely going to show up within minutes because uh, the folks chasing her clearly have substantial capabilities, and we don't know who is this, the Russian Mafia, we don't know is this the Israeli Special Forces, is this the so-called deep state of the US, is it some arm of some you know, Chinese technology company wanting to get their hands on this uh, incredibly powerful capability? We don't know who it is, but we do know that they're super capable, super dangerous and that they will go to any length really to uh, get her in their possession. So what uh, she and this guy, Leo, who basically she connects with in Boulder, this really kind of wacky guy she doesn't like at all at first. And yeah, there's a little sort of autobiographical fun making in there. (laughs) Um, You know, she and he prepare their horses knowing right after they go online in carbondale at at one of the cyber cafes there they're gonna have to flee to hightail it up into the wilderness yeah and he happens to know a very amazing spot for them to go to and they end up spending a lot of time there and she's there alone for quite a bit of the time because he has to go back and forth down to the farm to get more food and provisions and so on and so she goes into this deep kind of solitude and solitary experience which of course would be very intense at first especially if you can imagine it being winter a lot of that time and living in a cave a lot for that time um, but through that she ends up really growing this deep personal connection with n- the nature that's all around her and the, and the splendor and the magnificence of it all and, and it helps in her transformation now while she's there um, something pretty scary happens uh, right toward the end of their time up living in that cave. and so that that kicks us into the the final crescendo of the story. Yeah, yeah,
1: Act three. and uh, you know I think it's almost like she has to go through that to be to be ready, you know, for what Act three delivers. And again, I don't want to give away anything I'm, I'm not going to. Uh, but that being said, at this point in the book, you've given you know, such an education, such a knowledge, and such insight into so many different things. But you've still withheld so much, because it's about to come out in Act mm-hmm. Three, mm-hmm. And uh, I'm trying to figure out how to be nimble around you know, the plot here and not give anything away. But um, th- for me, this is the big reward. And, and I feel like, um, you know, for a reader, y- you, you get <laughs> some incredible reward here, some incredible messages delivered that draw upon things that maybe have been mentioned in the book so far, maybe not, but, I mean, pulling them out of so many different walks of life, kind of what I was getting to at the beginning of when we were talking, pulling Eastern, Western, you know, ancient, modern, every philosophy and, and understanding and, and religious practice that you can imagine because they do all weave together and they, they can synthesize. And what it does is it actually brings us to this incredible message of, of, of how to get to, hopefully, where we want to get to in the future by understanding this past, by understanding this knowledge and these wisdoms and these esoteric understandings. And everything that goes into it, it kind, of, it kind of blew my mind a little bit how, uh, I don't want to say perfectly seamlessly, but yet at the same time somewhat seamlessly, all these messages are leading us to one particular spot. And I think you did a great job of, of, of capturing those messages, in a way that we can understand that, oh my gosh, the writing's been on the walls mm-hmm. for, for mm-hmm. you know, on the wall, on the walls, for mm-hmm. for many, many, you know, decades, centuries, millennia, mm-hmm. of what we are supposed to do next. Mm-hmm. And so I guess that would be the part where I'd be curious uh, how many, like, notebooks and journals and articles you have scratched out there, because you bring together so many different things in that, in, in that, you know, those couple of chapters that start to launch in Act Three, how tough was that, A, to be able to pull all that together? And, and, you know, I'm sure you probably had this incredible education as you were going through it, too. Like, oh, my gosh, this does, you know, go with that. And that goes with this. And this goes with that. How am I going to get this all in and,
0: you know, not make a 5,000-page story instead of a 500-page story? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It um, has been a lot of fun bringing together. You know, there, you'll find in here there's some Egyptian. There's some Chinese, Japanese, Sanskrit, uh, Hebrew. Uh, Arabic, um, Greek, Latin, there's, there's a lot of different languages and symbols being pulled from these different cultures and time periods. And yeah, literally the writing's on the wall in, in many instances, Brad. And of course, with your uh, archaeology and, and history and religious history backgrounds, it's been so much fun kicking these ideas back and forth with you. And, you know, some of our dear mutual friends, Kevin Townley, um, good buddy Renee Perez out in New York City, um, and, and many others who have sprinkled in pieces of the wisdom in the story to help weave this together. Janet, Scott, Walter, and um, it's it's been a heck of a lot of fun, and moreover, I think has led me to understand this this book. Right, it's a simple book that is really also a prayer, um, and hopefully a gesture that will help a lot of us in these times and in dealing with what we're dealing with, which of course is a complex set of interconnected challenges and crises on a global scale with very real and often diverse regional and local uh, impacts and effects. And we need help. And I think it turns out that a lot of our collective and unique individual Cultural uh, legacies and heritages and lineages actually have a lot of wisdom to help us, and that includes a lot of the wisdom coming out of the Haudenosaunee people, the Iroquois people, the Mohawk people, uh, the Hopi people, and others. And this book, you know, uh, is is my best effort to bring all that together in a way that is really approachable for folks. And I'll I'll share with our audience, Brad, um, because of course we're doing some things with our marketing to reach all kinds of audiences. But I think with our Why on Earth community audience, I, I can go ahead and just share straight up that in this crescendo, in this major revelation, because of a series of events, Mother Earth ends up speaking directly to Brigitte and to humanity through her about these times and about the tools and the choices that we have immediately before us and within us to deal with the situation that, that confronts us. Um, and so there, there's a lot in here, as you can imagine, um, with, with that uh, insight there. And like I said, it's it's been not only a process full of hundreds of hours of research and conversation, uh, but also of, of prayer and spending a lot of time myself up in the woods and wilderness um, and with the soil and with the water, uh, just asking for, for guidance and asking that th- when this come together, it be in, in, in great service to humanity and to our healing work here on planet earth. And, and I think, you know, message uh, and message is delivered really well. And
1: it is, um, again, without giving away too much of how the ending unfolds, uh, a super you know, positive feeling, a, a motivating feeling as well. And I know there's, there's so many negative sentiments out there right now. It's easy to kind of fall in that trap. And, you, and you, it's just reality uh, in a lot of ways. But also you know, these messages of, of how we unwind this and how we you know, kind of look in the future in a different way um, based on what we know from the past. And then how to go down that path uh, is just a lot. It, it's excellent. It, it's, some of it's heavy, but, but it's all important stuff. And I think one thing for me that's really fun is, yes, there's heavy messages. Yes, these are important understandings. Uh, but there's also a lot of maybe a little bit more light, maybe a little bit more fun things happening in this book. Yeah. So, I, so I think it, it's going to hit a lot of different audiences in a lot of different ways, but talk a little bit about that. Cause that's one thing we didn't really get to. But yeah. as I stare at the cover right now, there's all kinds of different encryptions and everything yeah. else through the book that will be a lot of fun for the reader to kind of dive into and dissect and, you know, different and different things going on there. So talk a little bit about all the different encryptions that are not just on the cover, of course, but are within the book.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, thanks for mentioning that, Brad, because it's uh, also been a lot of fun uh, putting in a a number of uh, many, many dozen different symbols and a, a whole bunch scores of encrypted quotes, messages, and even references to sacred scriptures um, that are all relevant to the story and to our times right now on the planet. And uh, big shout out to my son Hunter Chestnut Perry and to Jake Welsh, the uh, two designers who made all the cover art and the interior symbols um, happen. Of course, Maggie McLaughlin with all of her brilliant uh, and beautiful layout and font selection and all of that. Um, and so, yeah, there, there are a whole bunch of additional treasures and easter eggs that folks can can dig into if they'd like and and yeah there there's a good bit of humor here and there there's one point where uh they're up hiking and and, and this is very early right after she escapes new york and comes to boulder and leo takes her up near Netherland, colorado in the mountains and they go hiking to this special spot of his and uh she has to go pee and out there you gotta like go behind a tree and and do your thing and when she's doing that she ends up uh taking a tumble and skinning her knee and she's so embarrassed she hates feeling out of control and of course this is a very frightening situation having to be off grid and being chased (laughs) and and uh, leo knows some herbal medicine and knows to pick some yarrow to put on her her wound and that helps but uh yeah there's there's kind of a lot of uh funny interplay especially between those two characters and um with that and a number of other examples there's actually a lot of information and education about uh, specific herbs uh, herbal medicine as well that uh, of course are not intended to diagnose treat blah blah blah, whatever the fda disclaimer is but it woven into this story um, is mention of a number of different uh very potent medicinal plants that they encounter along the way so we got some humor and we've got some uh, herbal medicine woven for you
1: yeah for sure some great banter between uh between leo and uh brigitte sophia and uh a lot of fun to to read through that and you know just as a whole i i I will say just kind of flipping through i i know you know you, you you leave a little note for for your kids at the beginning which is awesome and i'm just like you know it's It's got to make you super proud as a dad to be able to deliver something like this and to have their help uh, with a lot of this and different parts of this and them understanding what you're trying to accomplish. But how cool is that to be able to get this out and, uh, and and to be able to be you know so proud of it? And I'm sure you are. I don't want to put words in your mouth. I know you're proud of it and you should be but uh, to have them kind of help and influence you and to just kind of have that collective effort with a lot of people that helped, but specifically with them and as a dad to be able to get this message out in, in, in this particular work.
0: Yeah, it's, um, yeah, in my, in my heart, that's one of the main primary motivations behind this whole thing. And, uh, you know, Brad, we're, we're of the same generation. We're in our mid forties. And, and we were just talking earlier with your wife, Lindsay, how when we were growing up, Colorado's climate was pretty predictable. And in the springtime, you know, you could rely on it raining in the afternoons. And now we're dealing with very extreme and erratic winds and droughts and heats and colds. And just having that uh, crazy destructive and sad martial fire uh, December thirtieth, followed the next day by a snowstorm. I mean, it yeah. was it was like so hard to wrap our minds and in, in our emotional bodies around that reality, and and so knowing that the possibility is is very real, our kids as they're growing up are going to see even more of this disruption and this set of erratic and unpredictable dynamics in climate and in other. Aspects of our experience on the planet both cultural and economic on the human side and ecological on the natural side and so this very much is a uh, an effort to help uh, Improve what the future is going to look like for our kids for their generation for the next seven generations and uh, That's that's a very deep and, and heartfelt hope and prayer and um yeah, it's been, it's been incredible to be able to collaborate with both of my kids. Hunter, you know, was really involved in the, some of the design work of the book. The front cover is his design, and uh, he did a lot with the interior symbols. And, of course, uh, he and I had a lot of conversations over the last few years about the story, as I did with my daughter, Osha. And she, you know, is, has expertise in, in neuroscience and health and wellness, and uh you know i was able to glean a lot of really important information by talking with her and uh, a good bit of that is is woven in here as well
1: yeah well as i said you must be a super proud dad uh yeah incredible family and uh congratulations man that's all i got for you i'm just uh super excited to go through it again the actual physical copy and uh i know this is going to be it's funny i mean right like i I we didn't necessarily even plan on this that i would be kind of interviewing you so to speak but uh it just i mean after reading through it i just had so many questions for you and i think that you know questions in general but also questions that are important for everyone to to kind of be able to to learn a little bit from from the author himself so uh that's been a lot of fun to kind of go through it with you thanks for uh thanks for taking the time to to answer all these questions that i had and uh i don't know hopefully hopefully this will help some other people have questions too
0: yeah thank you brad and um just real quick if any of you want to find more information, get involved, and even uh, join our email list for the upcoming book launch uh, scheduled in June, and, and we're gonna be doing a lot uh, thereafter. You can go to viriditas-society.org, and it's V-I-R-I-D-I-T-A-S-society.org um, to get some info. And uh, stay tuned, we're gonna, we're gonna be doing a lot of um, additional sharing of content and uh, launching our Veriditas Society effort uh, as part of the Why on Earth community um, ecosystem as well. So uh, yeah, and Brad, man, thank you uh, so much for you know, having this conversation, hosting this uh, discussion today and, and for all of your involvement and effort and encouragement and support of the process these last few years, it's, it's been a tremendous joy collaborating with you on this and, and i deeply appreciate it
1: well you know likewise the feelings mutual it's been awesome to be able to uh, participate in this with you and to you know see these incredible ideas come to fruition in this book so uh yeah the pleasures all of uh, for me and for i guarantee for the readers as well so um awesome great catching up with you aaron and uh yeah looking forward to to the next steps and to uh where veritas is going to go yeah. Thanks, Brad. You bet. Take care, brother. All right. You, you too. too.
2: The Why on Earth Community Stewardship and Sustainability Podcast Series is hosted by Aaron William Perry, author, thought leader, and executive consultant. The podcast and video recordings are made possible by the generous support of people like you. To sign up as a daily, weekly, or monthly supporter, please visit whyonearth.org support. Support packages start at just $1 per month. The podcast series is also sponsored by several corporate and organization sponsors. You can get discounts on their products and services using the code YONEarth, all one word with a Y. These sponsors are listed on the whyonearth.org support page. If you found this particular podcast episode, especially insightful, informative, or inspiring, please pass it on and share it with a friend whom you think will also enjoy it. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your support. And thank you for being a part of the Why on Earth community.